sex and being mothered are completely intertwined in what can only be described as an unhealthy way. to describe the advertising executives of Madison Avenue. They coined it. Why don't you take a nap? Your face looks like a bag of walnuts. Welcome to They Coined It. I'm Roberta Lip. I'm Dan Jasper. And we cover Mad Men episode by episode. One of the great ways to support us that I haven't mentioned in a while is fantastic reviews on Apple Podcasts or wherever you are listening because... They all help, and uh, our egos love them. But also, share us on social. Some of you do. Keep doing that. We love that. As well as hang out at our patreon.com slash theycoinedpod. Hey, Dan. How are you? I'm, you know, I'm uh, so boosted and vaccinated. How are you? Uh, The same. Boosted, vaxxed, tanned, rested, and ready. Um, That's how I would describe myself. Me too. Without the tan and rested. (laughs) But I'm kind of ready. (laughs) So I, there's a uh, the character who dispenses the uh, stuff, the stuff, the juice, the juice. That's juice, not juice. Dispenses the juice on the crash. He's like a real guy. That would there was a doctor feel good. Oh, I'm sure. So what do you got on him? What do you know? Well, he. Well, the connection I like <laughs> is that like. Yes, he would go around to like various businesses like Madison Avenue and ad agencies and stuff. But he was like, he was shooting up JFK. I mean, like, this was a real guy. Not that like, year, JFK, but sure. Not in 1968, but uh, JFK was ahead of the curve. And even like, um, I think also Jacqueline had been sort of rumored to get, get the boost. The butt boost? The butt boost. I... Like JFK was way, that's kind of common knowledge now. He was way sicker than anybody knew. And he had fatigue issues and he had the Addison's disease. I mean, he was all over the map. So, you know, when you kind of saw him at his robust best, that was amphetamines and that was uh, steroids a lot of times. The same has been said of me. (laughs) When you're at your best? My robust best, it was amphetamines, steroids, some cocaine. But, so I just love that this guy was based in a real character. And New York Magazine, if you care to, to look at it, this guy was Max Jacobson. And he's a real – he was the original Dr. Feelgood. He, he – Mad Men, the, the Harry Hamlin contact on this week's episode was definitely based on him. And, yeah, they've got a couple articles. They've got one on, on Harry Hamlin connection and Jim Cutler – and one on the strange saga of JFK and the original Dr. Feelgood, all coming out after this episode aired. So I'm good stuff to check. I'm out. glad something good came of it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, well, it's a strange episode, right? We can say that with confidence. Yeah. Listen, uh, you know, I really I I. In my overarching concern for the quality of our podcast, right, for the listenability of our podcast, which which I always have a, an ear and eye on, I I get concerned sometimes that we are sometimes too negative of too many ep- on too many episodes, especially as we mm. especially this season, you know. But uh-huh. like as we get into the later seasons, there's more like oh I don't love this one, and and I have a concern to put that we project that too much. Like, why are we doing mm-hmm. a podcast if we don't like yep. episode after episode? But I got nothing good to say about this episode. This <laughs> yeah. is this is officially, and this is without me remembering what's coming. I will stand by this till the end of time. My least favorite Mad Men episode, and maybe one of my least favorite episodes of television. Well, let's put it this way: the quality of a podcast episode, or in particular, a rewatch podcast episode, uh, in my opinion, and this is not just us; it's just rewatches in general to me, are not correlated at all with the quality of the episode that is under discussion. So you're saying, we can do this. We can make this the best, they coined it, a Mad Men podcast episode ever. If what I just said wasn't explicit enough for you, then yes, you can put it that I way. I think that was wish. more of a mandate than a prediction, but I'll, I'll go with it. Also, a, a self-boost, you could say, too. 
Um, but no, I, I, but I do as opposed to a butt boost, we can have a great conversation about an iffy episode. I don't think that's very controversial. I mean, good. I. It just the crash, I think okay. written by okay. oh. Jason Grody. I'll let you start. And Matthew Weiner. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> you took too long to jump in there. <laughs> Director directed by Matt uh, Michael Uppendahl. Original air date was May nineteenth, twenty thirteen, and takes place in June, nineteen sixty eight. Uh huh. It does. Yeah. Um. Uh, this is up. This actually has Uppendahl all over it because he's great with like creepy, spooky, scary, oh, upsetting does. things. Okay, I'm not both on Mad Men with his, and out with there. His I think he's okay. done a lot of, uh, among other many other things. I think he's done a bunch of American Horror Story stuff. Okay, yeah, I only know him from from Mad Men here and there. So, uh, so this is the episode where winning the Chevy account. Should I say Chevy? Chevy account is a case of careful what you wish for at the new agency. Don continues to pursue Sylvia after her breaking things off. SCDP is on deadline for Chevy, and Jim Cutler invites a Dr. Feelgood to keep everyone working. Frank Leeson dies. An intruder robs Don and Megan's apartment by tricking Sally. Don has flashbacks about losing his virginity with one of the sex workers in the whorehouse. The phrase, losing one's virginity, as it applies to sexual assault, is either hotly debated or put to rest that it, it doesn't apply. I see what you're saying. You're welcome. Okay. But boy, did I not give a shit about those flashbacks either. We'll, just... <laughs> Go ahead, Dan. We'll you discuss. lead. You run. It's up for you, discussion. You drive. <laughs> well, let's start se- semi-chronologically. We don't really go chronologically here, but we'll, we'll kind I mean, of These guys barely a, did in this one. A little one. <laughs> bit of a guide. It is. It's, it's all over the map. Uh, but we... we we open up with this crazy scene with Kenny getting, speaking of assault, just getting harassed while he's trying to drive in a dangerous, dangerous scene. Um, and he comes back with with injuries. Apparently there was a, an actual crash that damaged his leg and he's in a bad way and he's miserable and he comes back in. And what we learn through exposition is, you know, now they're living with the reality of GM as a client. It's mid-June, right? This uh, RFK just died in the previous episode, right? So GM's now a client and they're getting kind of a full a full dose. This is careful what you wish for. It's like now they're into this endless bureaucracy of GM. No decisions get made. Kenny's got this list as long as his arm of deadlines and projects and this and that, none of which it seems ever actually come to fruition because it's just this labyrinth and maze of people making decisions as he says it till it goes up to God and God and then God asks his wife or whatever he said. Right. So Kenny's frustrated by all this because nothing gets done. They're all frustrated. They are, except Jim Cutler who goes, they're paying their bills. Right. What's <laughs> like, another we weekend? We'll we'll do this, yeah, we'll do this forever if they're gonna if they're gonna keep the roof over our heads. So it is. It's a careful what you wish for scenario. So just to start with that crash scene I mean, part, there's a lot to not like about this episode, but there's also, and one of one of the elements is just, there are a lot of upsetting things to watch. I don't, I mean, that was just such an upsetting, awful assault sure. is the correct, you know, they were just, it was horrible. I just hated. So there's, you know, ages ago, right? We talked about, I didn't like the stuff with uh, Grandpa Gene because I, I just don't like being around him very much. Mm-hmm. So there's there's just my own sensibility of like what I don't what I my tolerance for just unpleasantness yeah. and of course this compared to that is a whole other level. So there's there's issues with the 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 whole structure of the episode and lack of it and indulgence of it and all the different attempts at themes. But then there's also just a lot of upsetting moments. That it's being one of them. Yeah, all of it. Yeah, all of it. And well, there's a couple of there's a one or two nice moments. Um, and then there are some less than upsetting moments and then there's shit mm-hmm. like this or Dick Whitman being raped or, or whatever. Look, everybody the, uh, being terrible all the time. The, th- the theme, really the motif, I'm not trying to split hairs or get too highfalutin, but I think it's more of a motif than a theme is this sense of really just being in the darkness and losing track of where you are, 
when you are, not knowing how you're going to get out of wherever you are, and fear, real fear. And I think that that motif is driven by, if, we're, if, I'm, if I'm trying to make sense of this, it's hard. I look at it as we're now mid-68, we're past the two assassinations of that year, we're past the Tet Offensive, which is when everyone says, uh-oh, we're in deep shit with this Vietnam thing. We This might have been a huge mistake. Mm. So I think you can look at the crash as like a distillation, crystallization, if I'm using either of those words correctly, of that, of that as a metaphor within this episode, because it's kind of like, oh shit, what have we gotten ourselves into? I don't know how we're going to get out of it, and I'm really scared. And I think that's where you see a lot of these grasping at solutions, i.e. drugs, i.e. sex, that are an attempt to either dull the pain, make it go away. And, and, and in the midst of that, you have Don kind of reliving this trauma uh, that's, that's part of his present with, with Sylvia. So that's my, that's my armchair yeah, sure. psychoanalysis. Yeah, no, I think that's one take on what it tried to pretend to be. There's something very meta about this episode. Sure. It is very pretentious, and there's the, there's the line about being pretentious. It's like there's <laughs> there's the struggle to get a TV episode out. There's the struggle to get this ad out. There's the, you know, Matt Weiner has said many times, Don, in a lot of ways, is is an avatar for him, as is Peggy at different times. But, you know, yeah. the... the I feel like that was part of the indulgence of this was like, and a little, and a, maybe a little mockery, like self, self yeah. mockery. Like, you know, a lot of the stuff about the creative process, process or not in this case, because of, because it was so off the noodle was probably a lot of inside baseball about how TV shows are made. Uh-huh. I don't know. I, I mean, I hear you. And, and I think they're sure that's a, a great, theme but it i just think you know mad men has done themes like this so elegantly yeah and i think this was a lot a lot for just shock value and like let's fuck with our audience and they did yeah what i was describing trying to describe was what i thought they were trying to achieve we can talk about whether they achieved that i'm just saying here's what i think they were going for and then and then the rest is is debate if for those of us who remember the show mash they would often, ha- not often, but now and again, they would have these pretentious types episodes that broke the format. Mm-hmm. Oh, everyone has a dream and we're supposed to interpret these dreams as to what the characters are feeling. Or they're going to, you know, um, have a clock running of trying to save a patient who only has a half hour to live. Or or uh, they're going to do these interviews as if they were coming from a reporter or something. And they were really heavy handed. They were really, they don't play well, I think more recently they don't now but at the time at the time they were cutting television brilliant i mean that's the difference right that's the difference between a lot of what we see today which is meta and what mash was doing which never failed in real time never in real time in real time exactly a lot of it doesn't hold up the same not of it holds up these days but but yeah at at the time it did and this feels a little and then the next the next week you'd watch the show and it's as if none of that ever happened which is traditional Sitcom, sitcom, you know, setup, but um, this has a little bit of that in it, except you, except it'll be there will it will have consequences. You know, Chevy will still be a client, and they'll still be having difficulties down the road. Yeah, this had a little bit of that to me in it. It's just we're watching more gimmick than substance. Substance, right? Yeah, and it just felt very self indulgent. And I got to say, like, I'm sure I, I don't remember. I, I, I haven't checked what I wrote. But uh, I mean, I think it makes for a fascinating first viewing because you're like, what the fuck the whole time? And, yeah. and that's great. But if it to me, it doesn't stand up to I mean, I could barely get through the second viewing tonight, you know, on this this week. The, the, yeah. You know, because I've always got to do at least a second one. And I just was like, oh, I don't want to. I don't want to. <laughs> you know, but th- this to me is probably the. The best example of what Madzaller Seitz said on on the show where where we talked with him about not knowing if things are dream or real, and kind of it doesn't matter, <laughs> you know, like like yeah, it's confusing, but in the end, 
if you land on something or try to figure out the secret to the puzzle, it's not going to help you because it didn't matter to begin with. It was just meant to be in between or something like that. Um, so this had a lot of that in it. Yeah. Frankly, I just. I'm saying that for reference, not that it's a key to end. Yeah, I just, the ends didn't justify the meat. Like, they didn't reveal, I don't know. Let's go through it. So let's go through it. (laughs) I've visited some agencies lately. You've got a great outfit here. Thank you. All anybody wants to know is, what are you going to call this place? Can you tug your drawers down a little? So, yeah, so we talk about GM. That's that's this now, this it's driving everything at the entire agency. And they have to work yet another weekend, and it's causing all this. It just is turning the entire agency upside down because everyone has to has to kind of yield to this monster that seemingly never ends. And what it does is it, it encourages Jim Cutler to kind of say, oh, "I know what's going to make everyone work through this weekend right. is is a boost from this." crazy concoction yeah and ken's been kenny's been hurt and don's already run down and he's like aha i know what we need yep 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 and it kind of does the trick on that level i mean uh does get everyone everyone except peggy and ginsburg it gets everyone working but it doesn't get anything produced nothing no 666 bad ideas like i mean no nothing but it keeps everyone from falling asleep is what i mean sure they're literally they're literally (laughs) awake they're literally awake but it uh yeah it's not uh it's not yielding real um, real work. But I find that interesting, A, that it came from Jim Cutler, who's kind of the old hand, and B, that Ginsburg and Peggy <laughs> didn't. And not like they had any great ideas or anything, but it feeds into this other story, frankly, of Don and Sylvia. We saw last week, she broke up with him, the whole Sherry Netherland Hotel incident. He's still like loitering out her service entrance door some would even call it stalking some would i'm pretty sure the police would not in 1968 but nowadays yeah and she's saying he's leaving a cigarette i mean he's really kind of overdoing it frankly it's ridiculous <laughs> he's being insanely careless well it's not even careless although that's what she's pointing out to him when she calls the office you know and, and the message is this is dr rosen to give him that scare I don't think he's even being careless. I think he's tra- flirt- flirting. I mean, I think he wants her to know that he he was there. Yeah, I think he's ca- yeah. he's calling her. He's calling her. You know, right. it's his calling right. card, and and he doesn't understand or respect or care that she doesn't want to be called. Right, right. That that's the, that's the face of it, and, and she's saying on top of it, it's reckless. And it's right. Yes, she had that great in the phone call. She had that great. It really gave a lot of insight into who Sylvia is, has been in this thing. You know, she's like, I'm not going to say that I, uh, she didn't say I regret. I'm too old to say this was a mistake, is what she says. Yes. And, and then goes on to say how these things should be working. So she's yeah. obviously done this before. It's all about whether the other person has as much to lose as you, because you want to be able to trust them when it's over. And that, I think that's what you're referring to with how interesting she is because there are great lines of dialogue for this character. And it gives you the whole, again, you're kind of like, where is, we don't know until that moment what Sylvia's relationship with affairs is. Right. We know Don's. We don't know Sylvia's. The good Catholic girl who has apparently done this before and Mm -hmm. she really gets how it works and Don really doesn't as much as he's experienced (laughs) with it. What her lines tell us is that She's able to live in the reality of living a floor away from the guy you were just having an affair with. She's able to do it. She can compartmentalize. She can put it away. She can deal with the interactions that are going to happen as neighbors. But he's pushing that. And what his response is, I'm feeling a lot of emotions, too. Which is she didn't say, not the same conversation she, that she's having. She didn't. Did you just? Did you not hear what she just said? Because none all of that of was that. All <laughs> of it. Basically, she's saying, "I'm a grown up. I expect you to be a grown up too. We have to be grown ups about this." <laughs> and his response is, "But I'm still a child, and I need you to respond, interact with me as if I'm a child. Please, I'm not ready to be a grown up. That's what that is. 
I'm feeling a lot of emotions too. That's like, I'm still trying to talk you out of breaking up with me. He's just like, I don't hear you. La, 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 <laughs> you know? It's nonsense. <laughs> so, but, but that's a distillation of the, of the relationship right now. It's not good. And then what's the next piece is where, where she says, you know, we're going to get caught and, and he's going to murder you and then he's going to murder me. And, and then Don, the fucking hero is, you know, are you scared of, are you, are you in danger? Should you be scared? Are you scared of him? Something like that. Are, you, like, are you afraid of him? Are you afraid of him? And she's no, like, no, I'm afraid of you. Of you. Hello? <laughs> right. Are you not listening to this? <laughs> like, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's really well written because it says everything you need to know. But what's beneath all of that, frankly, is what we're going to see with Don as it relates to this craziness in the office because now he's getting drugged up <laughs> and he's getting he's getting the amphetamine shot he's getting hallucinatory i love how they're all like no i don't have any health issues <laughs> except R- roger. roger with his well except don was was on was had whatever he had and was on those heavy, oh the phenobarbital, the phenobarbital. Yeah, yeah. i mean come, i mean there's a lot that's not considered a health issue i mean, a heart attack that's a health why issue. was he on it because he had high blood pressure for that minute uh-huh that doesn't count no not to don uh-huh but I love Roger. I had a heart attack. Eh, you're fine. He had two. <laughs> yeah. Any heart issues? Yeah, well. Okay, yes. go. Let's <laughs> right. come on in. Exactly. Where was Roger for the episode? Was he out dealing with uh, Frank Lees and stuff? He was just in and out. I think he was. Um, he didn't want to. He didn't want to talk about Frank's death. Someone was coming up. Someone was talking to him about maybe it was the secretary or something. And he was kind of like. Yeah, I don't want to think about that. That was pretty much it for Roger. Yeah, I don't think we saw him again after that. Yeah. So anyway, so I'm I'm interested though in how in that interplay between Don's issues with Sylvia and obviously what happens to him when he's hallucinating or he's he's at least incapacitated to some degree where he doesn't know what he's talking about. Jesus. He gets fixated on this archived campaign or ad or something and it looked like it was an ad because it was printed it was on that it was on that stock that it shows that it was a piece of printed material not like a drawing that was a concept right um for was it campbell's soup it was for soup for whatever it was he starts asking for soup right yeah um but the ad that he pulls out is oatmeal so he's all over the oh okay i see well you eat both with a spoon yeah, it's, it's true. Um, out of a bowl. Yeah, it's the kind of thing you might you might mix up. But but the point is, anytime I see a flashback in Mad Men, I say, why now? Mm-hmm. So this flashback was about him being, it starts with that cough, which is certainly supposed to cue the viewer into thinking, oh, Don's got lung cancer. One of these jamokes was going to get lung cancer eventually. And it's Don, and we're seeing it now. And oh, the you know, the... Matthew Weiner's contract goes one more season, season seven, Don gets lung cancer, end of story, right? Because we were already starting to get the rumors about what the ending was going to be. You don't hear jamokes enough. I I appreciate it. No, 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 no. no. Used well, it's very effective. Right here, folks. You hear it right here on They Coined It, a Mad Men podcast. Tell your friends. Yeah, so he starts the coughing. It spurs the, when he was sick as a, looks like a teen. Well, his, his age is all over the place. Because yeah, but he's not the young boy that he was the last time we saw him. No, when they but he moved could, into but that he could house. be thirteen. Yeah, he could but be he's thirteen. A teenager. He's yeah. not. He's not. He's not eighteen, but he's. I don't think he's twelve. But I'm so. Yeah, but I mean, he's a teenager. <laughs> I mean, the kid. You know, we talked about this in the last flashback episode it's supposed to be a continuation from the last time we saw him you know yeah. within a year and he's this, this whole a- three years later because we haven't done a flashback in three years yeah i don't know why they never recast him because he not just because the age weirdness but he certainly was not shaping up to be handsome in the don draper in the john ham way no no i don't know what the reasoning was they just didn't they just kept the same guy Except that yeah. that is the same kid, uh, Dick Bullcut Whitman. Yeah, I thought so. I wasn't one hundred percent sure. Anyway, point being that uh, he's older than the last time we saw him. 
he's still living in that house with his stepmom and his uncle in quotes, Mac, who's running the joint. And he's sick. The stepmom, you know, tells him to go stay in the attic and on Basement, his way up. The cellar. Go stay in the cellar. Oh, cellar. Ugh. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, cellar. Ugh. By the way, have you seen the Sandman yet? No. So good. Anyway, there's a kid in a cellar. Carry on. That's why that's why it stuck out to me. It's not a good place to be. And on the way down he 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 connects with one of the one of the women in the house. It is Miss Swenson. And yada yada yada. <laughs> a sexual assault in which Don loses his uh his first time uh takes place. And in between, she gets him better and she mothers him. That's the that's the that the is, real yeah. action that's taking place, tr- truly. I mean, she she's very kind to him. She 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 intervenes with between him and the cellar. Mm-hmm. She she takes him to her room. She she nurtures him. She heals him. She assures him what she it, treats him in yeah. a motherly way. And I mean, that's an, what he's missing. And with some wisdom about you know this this it, what this illness is and isn't. And she yeah. gets him better. And then the second he's, he's better. better, she rapes him. Your mama don't know how to take care of nobody. She ain't my mother. Don is a young teen, connects moms and sex. I mean, it's really, it's, I don't think it's much more complex than that. I mean, sex and being mothered are completely intertwined in what can only be described as an unhealthy way. Yeah, I mean, because it isn't sex, it's rape. Right, but it's still a sexual act. I'm just saying, he has a lot mixed up. There's been a Madonna whore complex this whole time. We've we've covered it endlessly with with him. But yeah. now we know there was an assault. He's now an assault victim. This is somebody we know by the time he gets on that train, you know, or at least as on that train home, has quite a way with women. And he's mm-hmm. he ends up being Don Draper, handsome and and Don Draper, woman addict and sex addict. And now we know that the sex is mixed up with assault, is mixed up with mothering, is mixed up with getting beaten and called dirty. Yeah, all of it. All of it. It is quite an aha. And yet, this has been, I mean, I'm sorry, this has just been, it's been dragged and dragged and dragged. So, like, there's been too many flashbacks to get us to this point. This isn't even that shocking. Yeah, I didn't feel like this was that shocking either. I think what was what's more interesting to look at is the why now, and I don't mean because he was coughing, but the why is this coming up? What's for him transpired now in this with Sylvia? Sylvia. Right. He sees her as this mother, and she's got that instinct, and she's got got a boy, you know, who's probably a little older than than Don was at, at the time this yeah, flashback takes college. place. But she's clearly a mother first, and and. As she hears with some of this banter going on in the household, she and Arnie are back together, despite what happened last episode. I told you, they never broke up. They just had a fight. Yeah, exactly. And this is the original trauma that's still playing out for him in in terms of the interconnectedness and almost impossible to separate feelings of being cared for by a mother figure and sex itself. <laughs> so here we have it. I, I I don't think it's much more complex than all that, which is not all that complex. It's pretty pretty straightforward. It doesn't have the um the word I usually use is elegance of so many other of the flashbacks. You know, I go back to Hobo Code, which for me is is the pinnacle, where it's not obvious and things come across in ways that make you think really hard about what they mean. This is not one of those. <laughs> so here we are. I think I use the word Earlier, I think I said this whole delivery system of this episode is inelegant or lacks elegance. It's just, it's doing what Mad Men can do best and elegantly, except without <laughs> except yeah. without that. Oh, well. <laughs> uh. Did you hear about Frank Lisa? <laughs> yeah, guest dreams do come true. I think that's in poor taste. Tell him, Peggy. Tell him what a son of a bitch he was. I liked him. Before he was sick? I hate how dying makes saints out of people. The other key thing here that's worth mentioning is the death of Frank Leeson, who, again, we only had those two quick scenes with. The first thing I I noted and loved is that Ted is gathering half the troops, which is appropriate. This isn't 
a company to be named later wide punch in the gut. It is a CGC punch in the yes, gut. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And I, that was just, the, I just, that was, that was perfect. Yeah. The timing, the timing of the merger and everything that happened did not allow for the SCDP people to have any real relationship with Frank. No. Had, had Frank got diagnosed and gotten sick a year after the merger, different story. Yeah. No, he was already, he was already not, not working Dying. anymore. Yeah. It was also a reminder in that, in, in that kind of gathering scene, there's Peggy who we still think of as ours because she's ours regardless of where she works. Yeah, but she knew Frank better but than the others. That, yeah. But she's with, with them. What I found interesting was in that opening scene where Kenny walks in and is bitching about GM and everyone's kind of haranguing him, they're really not sympathetic at all, which is the striking part. Unbelievable. I mean, it's including Ted. Including who, Ted. Who I forget what the dialogue is, but it's sort of like, you know, we don't care about that. What you, you know, bring us? What you bring it? us? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, all right, so Ted the Humanist is gone, right? Because that's who we saw with Ted with uh, Frank Leeson. That either doesn't carry over to everybody equally, <laughs> which or when he's exhausted or account people, right? Exactly. There's that line he says to Cutler about, "You're not the one. You're not, you don't have to write anything. Like we're the ones doing the work with all this." And then that was a nice moment too. Uh, again, a reminder, not everybody is the same around this table. These two have an old relationship. That was not, yeah. the, you know, yeah. that was a, a rapport refrain that's been heard many times between those two. So it was striking for the situational humanism of Ted Totally. Shaw. Right. So I, I thought that was interesting. And, and, and getting back to Frank, you know, like we said, Roger didn't really want to hear about it. It really was a good point. There really was this schism between... As to be expected, it's not unusual. Those who w- knew him and worked with him and loved him and those who are sort of out of respect, you know, dealing with it. And that's it. You know, we see Peggy later in the episode working the weekend in her funeral dress. Mm-hmm. You know, she's there that night. Life goes on in this weird way. Everybody's high back at the office and and she's having to get the work done. It's fucked up, people. It's we don't know day from night. We don't know what's going on. Kenny does this jig. Oh no! That, out of see, the, that was again. That was so upsetting. So upsetting. So upsetting. Very upsetting. So upsetting. He's so fucking high that he tap dances. And uh, listen, one more, one more time where where Mad Men shows the multi talented you know <laughs> actors. Every actor you see on TV was in their high school play, and some of them are good at dancing and singing and we don't ever mm. get to know it there he is dancing but you know on his what broken foot or whatever whatever is wrong that he's on a cane yeah he's just he's he doesn't feel the pain anymore to me again more vietnam not imagery but but a sort of swirling sense of whatever it takes to get me through another day mm. kind of feel that was that's what i get out of it and that to me has a vietnam a mark of of that experience there's also the, <laughs> Don says, where'd you learn that? Ken says, my mother. No, my first girlfriend. Just in case our theme of that, <laughs> that <laughs> kind of go. mush isn't clear enough. <laughs> That's, right. That's a good one. Yeah, yeah. Oy. Exactly. So um, I feel like we need a break. I mean, I needed one when we started, so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. And we'll come back and talk about Grandma Ida, new character. We're keeping her. So smack in the middle of all this Michigas is Sally is now, uh, because Don has to work, Megan has an appointment, Sally's old enough to watch the younger kids. You really see in the in the early scene with, with Sally back at home, you see Sally rounding up the boys, <laughs> right. you know, boys, let's go. Like she's... Yeah. There is no that is not subtle that that she's a little adult now and sees yeah. herself that way. And actually one of the last things she says on the phone call with Don after this is all over is I'm so embarrassed I acted like a little kid. Yeah. No, she's listen the development of Sally as a character and the way that obviously Kiernan Shipka plays her. It's incredibly nuanced. I mean it's just such an amazing 
nugget within everything else swirling around, most of which has nothing to do with Sally. But that character, and it's a testament to what Matthew Weiner saw in Kiernan as an actor and the ability to, right to, to sort of, yeah, exactly, lean into to Sally as a character, that these kinds of things happen. It's not a big thing. It's not some big, <laughs> it's not a big uh, uh, look at me moment, but it is, it sure is fascinating over the arc of the seasons to see what's been going on with Sally. That's a great point. She's she's this little leader within her family now that she, she couldn't have been before. And shouldn't have been ever. Not at that age. Nobody nobody should be that parentified. Uh, well, yeah, no, but, but that's just the fact that she's learning to babysit. And so there is a natural part of that being in charge that you grow accustomed to. Yeah, I didn't like it. I mean, I don't, th- I don't think she was like too grown up for her age by her actions here. I, t- I did. That was what that okay. was what hit me. What hit me was, you know, Betty's never been any, con- and actually she, not, a Betty's never been this great mother. We've talked about that, but also Sally didn't necessarily bring the nurturing part into it. It's just a, like lining up the boys, getting everybody packed. Not oh, that no, there's, yeah, not, she I'm, was. I'm not criticizing Sally's work here. I'm just noticing. She's t- she is stepping in. Part of it is so she doesn't have to deal with her mother and the back and forth about the custody and the visitation, rather. She's what, 14? Bobby's 10 or so. Jean's four, yeah. right? So, yeah, I, <laughs> I think that's totally appropriate for her to be rounding up the kids and being a little... A little in charge when necessary. I don't. I don't. Especially if she's starting to babysit, so she's kind of growing into that role. I don't. I didn't. I didn't see it as like, oh, she's lost her childhood kind of thing. Yeah, I did. I mean, there's nothing wrong with her being old enough to babysit, and that she sometimes babysits these kids. It was the way she rounded them up. That I. That's how I saw it. That it okay. looked a little. It made me a little sad. Where's Daddy? We're ready to go. I'm taking. Were you sitting under the hairdryer? Just remember that. She's watching the kids virtually overnight with. Megan out late and Don out. Don's abandoned ship once again. I mean, it's just... Yeah, he's, he's totally... And doesn't really give Megan much choice. More again. fodder for that relationship. She's now watching the kids and she's... I guess she's she's already asleep by the time she comes out and sees an intruder. Literally someone who does not belong in that house, that apartment, um, and looks disheveled and not good. Let's call it what it is. A burglary? A mammy character. Matt Weiner did himself no redemption after having a black prostitute, maids, janitors, Dawn who had three lines in response to MLK, and now we have a mammy character. Yeah. I think it's worth pointing out. I also don't think it's... I, I I I can't speak to crime statistics in 1968. In oh, New York and a black bur- oh, the rob the robber too who robbed Joan uh, and Roger. Oh right, exactly the the mugger. I mean, I, listen, I don't care about the statistics of 1960 whatever either whatever. I I understand this was based on a real thing, like this really happened, or there was some, mm-hmm. somebody going around to. I don't know. I don't care. And we, you know, we we can get into the story. I just needed to get this piece out of the way. Like this is. Oh yeah, no. She's, if you're she going is that to choose a, sure. a black character to elevate and focus on in an episode, you're not bringing one in as a client. You're not bringing. You're doing this. But what it highlighted to me, in terms, of, in so much as race is a part of it, is it highlighted the absurdity of Sally getting fooled, and how you could say easily if you are confused to begin with, and as she says at the end, it's like I don't even know who you are that I could see someone who is so obviously not related to you and be snookered into thinking she maybe could be. That to me was an interesting part of it. <laughs> you're, you're, you're not convinced. That's fine. No, I, I, again, heavy handed. I think, I think there's lots of ways for Sally, maybe more sure, interesting ways for ways. Sally to uh, start to reckon with that. She really doesn't know her father very well or his history or anything. This yeah. was, 
Completely out of left field. Completely out of left field. I, I mean, if anything, it, it more showed her her savvy. I mean, yes, she got fooled, but never never really. Like she really was the whole. She wasn't comfortable. No, with she it. tried she calling was, the police. Yeah, yeah, she was kidnapped. Is what she was. Yeah, but she also was bamboozled. I mean, that's sure. That's, that's what it was. I mean, Bobby was one hundred percent bamboozled. She was probably whatever, but eighty percent and, and very confused. Like our. It is confusing. It's disorienting. It's the middle of the night and someone's strange and they seem to have answers for stuff and don't seem flustered when you challenge them. As a character. She, man, she had a fucking answer for everything. She had done enough research and enough tap dancing. She's a con artist. But yeah, so yeah, it was very much kind of thrown in there. It had no connection to anything except this idea of Sally not knowing Don. I think that's what that, that's the uptick, right? The uptake is I could only be fooled if I wasn't certain that this wasn't someone, right? And I don't even know if that's true. I think it actually just underlined it for Sally, who underneath kind of does know that she doesn't know him. And it, it yeah. is like a reminder. Yeah, because, sure. Because the woman was so good. She could have just been like, I'm your other grandmother. No, your other mm-hmm. grandmother, your aunt. Like she could have kept going and, uh, you know, she could have kept fooling her. And and I, and it's also this dreamlike thing. I remember watching it and even this time around kind of being like, we're supposed to take this at face value. We're supposed to think this is a dream. And it's very much in keeping with the episode yeah. that you're not quite sure. And it's not until the police are there that you kind of go, okay, this really happened. <laughs> and know? then Betty gets to say, not only to gloat because you guys fucked up, but Henry's running for office. She was like, whoopah, right. Megan. <laughs> <The whole thing. laughs> and who has the level head and calms everybody oh, down? Yeah. Your boyfriend. St. Henry. St. Henry. <laughs> But yeah, it's kind of stuck in there. I thought it was a great scene for Sally. That's about it. I thought it was exploitive and gross. <laughs> <laughs> at least on, the, on on this viewing, that's what I took away. Yeah, and I'll leave it at no significant value to the show. That was fast. What are you doing in here? You said you were going to get some ice and we were going to have a drink and watch the sunset. I have some things to do. Stop doing that. You are really uptight, aren't you? No, I'm just on a deadline. The other scene back at the office that felt like a dream to me, in even in this viewing, deliberately, I think, was um, Wendy, this young... Yeah. What is she... Uh, uh, I don't know what she is. Oh no, no, I do. What she? What is she? What kind of readings? I I Ching. She's she, the little yeah, oh yeah, the I Ching that, yeah. chick who turns out to be Frank Gleason's daughter. <laughs> hey now. But with a scene where she appears in Don's office, mm-hmm. I'm like, is this is this his hallucination? Is this really happening? Because but that was his timeline. I mean, that's part of you brought up that the it's very hard to track the time of the. You don't know if it's day or night, and that. I'll give that. <laughs> that was well done about this episode. It reflected all of their experience, particularly Don's. And we, we don't know if it's, I mean, Don's like, what, three days? Like, nobody knows what's happening. It was chronological because Don's beard grew. It wasn't going back and forth. There was no time. It wasn't like uh, faraway places, right, where we were constantly going back and forth, where we're confused in a different way. Yeah, no, this just felt like it felt to them. With the, like, the jumping, you didn't know where you were day, night. Yeah, right. But it was chronological. Things did not jump around. That's correct. So Wendy is, you know, one of these hot little hippie chicks that that enters the show. Teenage, hot little teenage, I would like to add, hippie chicks that enters the show just to fuck someone, it seems. She had a a Mother Lakshmi vibe. Exactly. From, yeah. Exactly. Paul's... uh, Paul's girl. Paul's intended. <laughs> Paul's the shirt. Um, uh, to me, the most interesting-ish scenario on the episode is Stan and Peggy. Mm-hmm. You know, there again, as you've pointed out, Peggy is one of two people who didn't take the drugs, but but she's been drinking this whole time, mm-hmm. and you've got this Stan and Peggy alone in in the dark, kind of having a moment and you know you keep referring to vietnam we find out his cousin has died his cousin who we met that's right it was the sailor at don and megan's uh, don's birthday don's party surprise party surprise in real time watching the show when it happened there was definitely a listen they did a they did a re i think we talked about this right that they really did a reset on stan 
as a character. Mm-hmm. They were like, when he came back with a beard, he came back much less of a dick. They just, I think they were like, we need to stop that <laughs> because we like the actor. We want to keep him. He's got to be likable at all. Well, he's got to fit in to some degree. He was, ju- he was what is, uh, I forget her name now. Uh, Zoisha Mamet's character calls him Jughead, which was like, at the yes. time appropriate. <laughs> Yeah, no, he's 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 become really likable. He smokes tons and tons of weed, which we now know he's been dealing with the loss of a of a close cousin. And they even say, you know, I mean, she Peggy even says to him, you don't want to bury that stuff with with sex and and drugs. And he's like, you know, maybe I do, (laughs) you know, but they do. So, But in real time, as we are watching post disgusting Stan character, there is this subtly simmering something that you are seeing between the two of them. And then we see this friendship that they, that they have developed when she was working over there. So now here they are and you could really feel it. Like it was lovely and tender and her no. And he was like, Oh, you, you do want to kiss me. And, and Mm. the way she, he says, you know, you got a great ass. Her thank you was just incredible. (laughs) That's right. Exactly. Nine times out of ten, that'd be inappropriate, and this is the tenth time. <laughs> this is what I got out of it. She appreciated the compliment. Hold still. You've got a great bedside manner. What are you doing? You're lucky I don't like beards. Women say that, but they don't act like it. You're like my brother. You don't have a brother. I want you to stop. No, you don't. So then later, toward the end, when 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 now we found out that Don has been sweating over concepts so large and drugged out that there's no words that go with them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or connection to the project. Connection to the project, to the product, to the advertising. I mean advertising in a very big way and Ginsburg was sort of pulling something out of him in terms of the idea but whatever and Peggy has just fucking had it and then Jim Cutler calls her over and hey hey look at this and (laughs) they look through the doorway and there's Stan fucking Wendy Mm. that was just such a like multi-layer disgusting moment for Peggy Mm. Yeah. It made her feel so unvalued by Stan. They took everything away from that moment they had shared. Sure. Because all he wanted to do was get laid is what she saw. And and she's not wrong, but it also, I think some of that tenderness was genuine. And at the same time, when, you know, some old man with bad breath says, come here, and then that's what he's pulling you into and being complicit in watching live real people porn yeah no but i mean that's just like getting a dick pic except worse it's the third module of the sexual harassment training that we now see it's it was not good (laughs) it was not good and so peggy you know who we're always rooting for and we want to see her victory moments once again is humiliated and fuck this and i'm out of here yeah so fun fun no it ends on a high note yeah Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Not there's not this isn't a feel good episode by any stretch. It's the opposite, but it is. It's Mad Men. It's the middle of season six. Over to hump. We over to hump. We got we're heading to episode nine because of how that was episode eight. That's, yeah, that's how the math the works. better half. So there's there's <laughs> stuff to look forward to. All right, let's uh, let's take one more break. Come back with quotes. What's your quote, Dan? I don't usually pick uh, a quote that's kind of like... On the nose. On the nose, but this time I will. Because the the episode was filled with either lame lines or on the nose lines. At the end uh, of the whole thing, Don comes back and he makes really a great observation, frankly, about, you know, give me stuff to evaluate and I'll evaluate it. I shouldn't be like coming up with the shit. Which, okay, Fair enough. 
Every time we get a car, this place turns into a whorehouse. Which, you know, Joan wasn't in this episode at all. I was There was no Pete either, right? And no Pete. Yeah, it's, I just... That's just that's a madman great thing when you when you take leads and you just don't even need them in the episode or yeah, use them. But yeah. but correct, Joan was not. B- but Don's, you know, we talked at, at length about you know, Don firing Jaguar and setting all this stuff into motion and his impetuousness and and all of this. And now you know they again they careful what you wish for. Now they they got the bigger car. They got GM. Now what? And they're living in the hell that that they've created for themselves. <laughs> but obviously that's a, that's a callback to Jaguar itself. Every time we get a car, we've only had one other, this place turns into a whorehouse. And it's literally true. You've got, you've got, you know, Joan having to, to, to do horrible things to, to get the first one. And uh, while they're working on the second one, people are having sex in the office next door. It's like a whorehouse. It's really a bit on the nose, but, uh, a really great last line. So, I mean, this is an earlier Don rant where we're not quite sure yet that he's just fully rambling and not like he's sort of doing his Don thing, but it's sort of deteriorating. And I think this is the first time when we know that where it's both the truth and a mess. <laughs> he goes, you have to get me in a room so I can look them in the eye. The timber of my voice is as important as the content. I don't know whether I'll be forceful or submissive, but I must be there in the flesh. Again, this episode is so meta. Mm-hmm. It's referencing other Don Draper moments. It's referencing what a pitch is like, which again, everybody who's writing <laughs> this episode mm-hmm. has experienced. You know, it's it's making fun of it while at the same time exposing it. It's a great, it's great. It's a it's a great line in its in the context. That's the un- other good part of the no, I'm listen, I'm sorry. I, you know <laughs> <laughs> I, I like I said, I have a commitment to not be so, but I promise you, nothing is gonna be worse for me than this one. So from here it's it's all, all right. uphill. Perfect. That's the crash. Yes, and we survived the crash, and now next week is the better half. Yes, correct. Thank you, especially this week, <laughs> for staying to the end. Yeah, you made it this far. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks for, for being with us. Thanks, guys. We'll see you next time. If you would like to support the show, go to patreon.com slash theycoinedpod for bonus content and extras. For cool swag, visit etsy.com slash shop slash theycoinedstore. Neat looking shirts, hoodies, and tchotchkes. Another way to support us is to leave us a glowing review on Apple Podcasts. Email us questions at theycoinedpod.com, Twitter and Instagram at TCI Pod. They Coined It is produced and edited by Roberta Lip. Our logo and merch graphics are by Albert Stern of Stickrest Arts. Our theme is from Adam Tilford. Thanks again for listening. I'm Dan Jasper. See you next time.